Yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you've made a way for all to enter in. And it's all because of grace. God, that's who you are. Some of us need to be reminded this morning. You are a God of love. You are a God of grace. You take us and accept us when we're at our worst, even if that's how we come in this morning. But Lord, you also want to clean us up. You don't want to leave us where we're at. And you want to teach us how to begin fighting battles, real battles, primarily battles that take place in the mind. And so this morning, as we deal with this topic of the mind, God, I pray that you would just fill this place with your spirit. You'd fill each one of us with just a fresh filling of your spirit, Lord, that you would teach us how to fight and how to mature in our faith so that we can begin winning more and more and more of the battles that take place with our thoughts. We're going to ask for your help with that as we now turn to your word and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, Edinburgh. Hey, have I told you lately that I love you? (laughs) I do, and I'm thankful to be your pastor, and I'm glad to be here with you um, this morning. If you're a a first-time guest with us, I especially just want to give you a warm welcome. Hey, we're glad you're here. Just sit back, relax, enjoy the rest of the service. If you're watching online, I want to say we're glad that you're tuned in. Uh, The pastoral staff gets contacted quite a bit about people who are watching online from out of state, outside of these walls, um, but even across the country who call in just needing encouragement and prayer. We just had conversation this week with someone. And so I'm glad that we're able to do ministry and encourage you even outside of these walls. We've been in this series um, called Experiencing the Goodness of God. And that's our hope for you, is that you would have more and more confidence in God's goodness, especially when you deal with the challenges and the troubles um, of this world. But friends, nothing is more challenging and impedes us from experiencing God's goodness than the battle that takes place in our mind, the battle that takes place with our thoughts. It's amazing how quickly our minds can just spiral out of control. You know, many years ago, um, when I was in college, uh, I attended a college where at a certain time, I think it was roughly 8 p.m., um, certain doors uh, would, would lock uh, from the outside for security measures. And if you were inside and walked out these doors, uh, an alarm would go off. Now, you could still leave the dorm rooms, but you had to go through the lobby and check out. Well, one day, uh, Danielle and I decided we were going to go up to her parents' place and we were going to get some laundry done. And so I grabbed my laundry, and it's roughly 15 minutes to 8 o'clock. Well, my roommate comes in, he starts talking with me, I have to send an email, and by the time I get my laundry and I get to the door, it is 8 o'clock. I'm still thinking I have plenty of time, but when I walk through those doors, the alarm goes off. Now, normally, this wouldn't be a big deal. I would just run to the car, take off, right? And they would turn off the alarm. But it just so happened, as I come out, right at 8 o'clock, setting off this alarm, there's six security people about 30 yards away. And in that moment, you know, they yell, Hey, you there, stop! I can't tell you the thoughts that went through my mind. I knew I was going to be slapped with a, with a fine. And, and in hindsight, I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal. I probably could have explained my situation. But I'm thinking, they're going to slap me with a fine. And what if I don't have the money to pay that fine? What are they going to do? Am I going to get kicked out of school? And if I get kicked out of school, where am I going to go? 
All these thoughts are going through my head. I'm even wondering, God, are you there? Do you love me? And so I run. (laughs) And now I've got these six security people on my heels, chasing me across campus. It's dark. I've got my laundry. I can't see what's in front of me. There's this creek. I fall into a creek, and I'm not exaggerating. It was like a bomb of socks and tidy whities went off (laughs) everywhere. I didn't care. I got back up, ditching my laundry. I keep running. Now I'm running down Snelling Avenue with six people chasing me down. Eventually, I said, I mean, where is this going to end? Am I going to hop on 35? (laughs) And so I stop. I surrender. I say, guys, I turn myself in. I give up. And then there was this long walk of shame back to the office where I'm wondering what's going to happen. They did slap me with a fine, but they made it something that I could pay out. And I realized that in hindsight, it really wasn't that big of a deal. If I would have just stopped and I would just explain my situation, they probably would have let me go on my way. But in a split second, all those thoughts had gone through my head. I was even wondering, did God really love me? It's amazing how quickly our thoughts can become toxic and how quickly our mind can become filled with these kinds of thoughts, even wondering if, if God loves us. That's why I came across this quote this week. And I just I love this quote. This was said by Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was an English pastor. He said this. He said, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you listen to yourself? rather than preach to yourself. Now, let me unpack this for us, because this is kind of a a complex statement. He first says, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life? Let me just ask you this question. What's making you unhappy these days? What's got you unhappy right now? Is it, for some of you, maybe your job? You say, I love my time off and I love my weekends, but my job just makes me unhappy. Maybe for some of you, it'd be school, having to run from security teams and things like that and the pressures and the academic and social pressures that come with that. For some of you, it'd be a relationship. Maybe some of you, if you were honest, you'd even say it's my marriage. But what Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying here in this, I mean, very important statement for us, is that it's not your circumstance or your situation that's necessarily making you unhappy. In other words, it's not your job, it's not school, It's not that relationship or your marriage. He's saying it's the fact that you're listening to your thoughts. Let me give you a couple examples of what Martin Lloyd-Jones is talking about here. These come from the Bible because I want you to see that he's not making this up. Psalm 43.5. This is the psalmist David talking. Listen to this. He says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Who is David talking to here? He's talking to himself. But look, he goes on to say, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. David recognized that he was discouraged. He recognized that he was sad. But then he reminded himself of the hope he had in God, and he praised him. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 103. It begins this way. It says, praise the Lord, O my soul. You hear that? Who's David again talking to here? He's talking to himself. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. 
Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then he's going to remind himself of five benefits that come from having a relationship with God. He says, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. David reminds himself that this is a God who satisfies our desires with good things. Why? To give himself hope. This is an example of David preaching to himself rather than listening to himself. Now, I know that there's a common scenario that takes place just on Sunday mornings with many of us, especially if you're married, okay? But this can happen with a roommate as well, but it's this scenario. One of you finds yourself in the car getting ready for church, right? And you're saying, where is she? Church is about to start. Come on, doesn't she know we're going to be late? I wonder what the first worship song is going to be. Oh, that's right. We won't know because we're going to miss it. Then the other person, they're in the house trying to shove kids into jackets. And they're saying, well, maybe if he would get out of the car and come help me, maybe we could get to church on time. Now, friends, this is Danielle and I to a T. I will let you guess which one is which. But then you jump into your car and you're on your way and then you're you know, stuck behind that person who's going five miles below the speed limit. And then you get to church, and there's no good parking spots. You've got to park in the back. So now you're walking across the parking lot, and you get inside thinking, if I could just get myself a cup of coffee. But then you get into the coffee shop, and there's a line because everybody else is late too, right? And I just wonder, if I could get into your mind in that moment, what would I hear? I'd probably hear something like this. Ah, she always makes me late. It's so frustrating. You know who's also always late? Ted from accounting. That guy just strolls in the meetings like he owns the place. It's so frustrating. And you know what else is frustrating? This weather. It's been so cold. And you know what's also frustrating? Why are the Patriots back in the Super Bowl? And then you get into the worship center, and three songs later, I love you, Jesus. What's going on there? You're listening to yourself rather than preaching to yourself. This is something counselors call negative interpretation, and it's very common among married people. It's where you begin to look at everything the other person does through a negative lens. So it's not just that the other person, you know, doesn't, you know, forgot to put away their dishes. It's that that person doesn't care about anybody else but themselves. You know, it's not that he just forgot to ask you how your day was. It's that he doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. You know, it's not just that she was tired and needed to go to bed early. It's that she doesn't desire you. It's where we look at everything through this negative lens. It's called negative interpretation. And friends, that's what I want us to understand this morning is that our minds have the power to interpret our situation. Our minds have the power and the ability of interpretation. Are we going to be positive about something or are we going to be negative about something? 
Are we going to feel entitled or are we going to be grateful? Are we going to feel condemned or are we going to see the world through the lens of grace? Our minds have the power of interpretation, but friends, I need you to understand this is where the battle takes place. This is the battle we all have to fight. It's the battle for our thoughts. It's the battle for our mind. And as we're working our way through 2 Corinthians, this is what the Apostle Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In verse 3 and 4, he says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. He says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Okay, now I'm tracking with him when he says for though we live in the world. I get that. We all live in the world. But he says we do not wage war as the world does. What is he talking about here? What, what does it mean to wage war the way the world does? Well, he's going to answer that question for us. In verse 5, he says we destroy arguments and every prideful op- opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Okay, so what does it mean to wage war the way the world does? It means to argue. It means to have prideful opinions. It means to be critical and to attack. Does this kind of sound like politics just a little bit? I mean, you turn on your TV, you turn on talk radio, and this is what you hear. Arguing, you know, people being negative, being critical of everything the other side does. And this is what our mind is exposed to. I was recently watching the news and there was an individual who went on this rant against Bible-believing Christians. And this person made this audacious claim that if you believe in the Bible, that it's the inspired and errant word of God, that you are as bad or as dangerous, at least, as a terrorist. In fact, he compared Christians who believe in their Bible to, the, to, to mass shooters, And his one shred of argument when he was pressed on that, like, what's your proof of that, was Westboro Baptist Church. Now, friends, if you don't know what Westboro Baptist Church is, consider yourself fortunate, okay? Westboro Baptist Church is a church made up of about roughly 60 people. Most of them belong to the family of the the lead pastor there, Fred Phelps. And this is the church that goes to the funeral of homosexuals and pickets and causes disruptions. They also go to the funerals of of people who have died in war fighting for their country. And this person was saying because of a church made up of 60 people that's primarily just one family, the family of the lead pastor, that all believers must be like that. And I got to tell you, as someone who believes in the Bible and believes it's the inspired, inerrant word of God, but despises the behavior of Westboro Baptist Church, I found that to be a very unfair argument to make. But that's what the world does. It twists the words of others. It represents people unfairly. It's critical of everything the other side does. And here, God's telling us, we're not supposed to be like that. We're not supposed to act that way. We're not supposed to wage war the way the world does. This is what Paul says. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the world, but have divine power to demolish strongholds. So we have weapons, apparently, that can demolish strongholds. But what are the strongholds? Well, the context teaches us 
He's talking about mental strongholds here. You see, a stronghold was a fortress or a defense where the enemy would be deeply entrenched. And here Paul is telling us we have strongholds like that in our minds, mental strongholds, thoughts that have become deeply entrenched into our minds. It has to do with worldviews. These can be strongholds. You know, things like Darwinism, humanism, secularism, materialism, all those different kinds of isms, those can be strongholds that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. But then there's also just personal strongholds, personal mental strongholds, and that's where many of us are at today. We have patterns of thought and things that have become deeply entrenched in our minds that are not healthy and that keep us from going closer with Jesus and walking in our relationship with Jesus. And so I just have a couple questions I want to ask you. You know, what are your strongholds? For some of you, you would say it's a fear or it's an anxious thought about something. For some of you, maybe it's a tendency towards anger, an outburst of anger, lust, you know, people-pleasing, I want you to think about that for a second. What, what is that stronghold that you have to contend with in your life? We all have strongholds, myself included, but I won't be able to understand those or fight those strongholds unless I know what they are. And I just recently heard this pastor give a really good illustration of what these, these strongholds are like. He said it's like a hill that water is running down. You know, it doesn't take a lot of water to run down a hill, but if it runs long enough, a week or months uh, or years, that water will begin to form a deep groove into that hillside. And the same thing happens with our thoughts. You know, we think just, it's just a little bit of porn, just a little bit of porn here, just a little bit of porn there, but you know, just a little trickle here and a little trickle there, and before you know it, you've got a deep groove on the cortex of your mind. And science has proven this. Science has proven that when we are exposed to something over and over and over again, it forms deep grooves. It changes our mind and our mental chemistry. Not just pornography. It can just be a critical or angry spirit. You know, it can be dealing with things like jealousy or envy. And so I ask you, what, what is that stronghold that you're dealing with? You know, I know I've had many fears growing up, fears that started in my childhood. Uh, when I was young, I saw that my dad had a fear of spiders. And so I grew up and I had this fear of spiders. After some traumatic experiences, I, I, I became afraid of spiders irrationally. I'll never forget a time Danielle and I, we went to this cabin with her parents up north. And it was this rustic cabin that we were going to be staying at. And right away, I didn't want to go. Because to me, rustic cabin means spiders. And so we drive up there, and I'm like, I'll do this. Uh, but as soon as we walk into this cabin, the first thing I'm doing is, I mean, I am surveying this living space. I'm looking for spider webs or anything that might suggest there's spiders. Now, it checks out. I'm like, wow, I don't see any spider webs. The place is really clean. I'm like, we're all good. Then we go to our bedroom. We pull back the sheets off of our pillows to go to bed. I kid you not, there is a giant spider on my pillow. 
eating a dead grasshopper. It's sucking the juices out of this thing. I'm not exaggerating. It might have been my imagination, but I swear I could hear it sucking the juices out of this grasshopper. This sound that still haunts me today. And I'm thinking, God, you have a warped sense of humor. I was paralyzed with fear. I'm looking at this spider, this spider with all eight eyes. I mean, it's staring at me like, who is this big-headed freak? And then it gallops off our bed, okay? It scurries down the wall and into a crevice where we can't get at it. After switching pillows with Danielle, okay? <laughs> now, I, I kid you not, it left a juice stain on the pillow, a green juice stain. So Danielle got to sleep with that pillow all week. But I didn't do any sleeping. I was terrified. And I had tried to tell myself, like, I'm not going to be a pansy in front of my wife. Well, all that went out the window that night. I, I, I've been trying to work on that, and I've been trying not to be a pansy in front of my kids. I try to actually pick up little spiders now and try to get over it, but it is something that is just hardwired in my mind. I have this fear of spiders. And I bet there's some fears or some ancient tendencies or some lustful tendencies or some jealous tendencies, or some things that have become deeply ingrained in some, of our, in some of our minds here this morning. For some of us, it was things we were exposed to growing up. Something someone said to us, or maybe there was some abuse. And now it shaped our mental image of ourself, and it's ingrained in our mind. For some of us, we grew up in a home where it was just negative, and it was critical and so we find ourselves being negative and we find ourselves being critical because those thoughts are ingrained in our mind. And we become adults and we say, I don't want to be that way anymore. I don't want to have those thoughts anymore. I want to get those lustful thoughts off the hard drive of my mind. And the good news is, friends, just as science teaches that our minds are rewired, we can also rewire our minds to weaken those grooves, those bad grooves, and to strengthen or create new grooves. But we don't need science to tell us that because the Bible tells us that. Paul says this in verse 5, how do we do that? We take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. How do you begin creating new grooves in your mind? You take every thought captive and you make it obedient to Christ. You start binding those bad thoughts and those old thoughts and you start making them obedient to Jesus Christ. Anything that stands against God, you bind and you begin creating new grooves by making your thoughts obedient to what God's word says. But it raises this question, how do I take every thought captive? How do you actually do that? Well, I'm just going to give you a key. And at first, this might sound kind of odd to you, but I believe this is the key. It's meditation. If you have a handout, I would encourage you to write that in. I believe meditation is the key for us changing our, our thought patterns, for taking those thoughts captive and making every thought obedient to, to what Christ and God's word tells us. But I know when I use that word meditation, many of us, we have this image of someone sitting with their legs crossed, palms to the sky, chanting, right? We're humming. 
But that's not what biblical meditation means. That's not what biblical meditation looks like. Uh, This Old Testament word to meditate, it actually carries with it the connotation of a cow chewing on grass or cud. So if you've ever seen a cow do that, they just chew and chew and chew. And it's the idea of taking a scripture or taking, you know, a a small section of, of scripture and thinking on it. Maybe even memorizing it. But trying to get what the scripture is saying off of the page and in to your mind. I love what we read in Colossians 3.16. Paul says this, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Does the word of Christ dwell in you richly? You know, the Bible is not just to be a, a, a book that collects dust in our home. It's, it's supposed to be a book that it's not so much us in it, but it's it getting into us so that it dwells in us richly. It's alive and active in our thoughts and in our minds. And did you know that the Bible says the more you do that, the more you let Christ's word dwell in you richly, that you will be successful in life, at least in the way that God deems success? The Bible says this in many places. Let me give you a couple examples. Joshua 1.8 says, Study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. Friends, we're supposed to think on God's word day and night. So you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Listen to this. Then you will be prosperous and successful. That as we meditate on God's word and let it dwell in us richly and apply it to our lives, it begins to change our behavior. It begins to change and inform the decisions in life we make, and it leads to more success in life. Psalm 1, verses 2 through 3, talking about the righteous person here, says his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on God's law, what? He meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers saying that as we think on God's word, it's like having nutrients, the nutrients of heaven, the nutrients of God come into our lives. It gives us strength. It gives us wisdom. It helps us to make better decisions so that what we put our hands to is successful, so that we bear fruit, good fruit in life. Saying that the Bible gives us wisdom and helps us to experience more success. Friends, this is the power when we meditate on God's word. Now, I don't know about you, even though I read the Bible and try to meditate on the Bible, I still have these thoughts that come out of nowhere. Can anybody ever relate to that? Like, you just have these thoughts, you don't even know where they come from. Sometimes I'll even be praying, and I'll just be praying, God, I am weak. You are strong. I need your help. You know who also is strong? Todd Gurley from the Los Angeles Rams. God, why didn't I have him on my fantasy football team? I would have had such a better year. And then I'm like, whoa! Where did that thought come from? That's not what I meant to say. God, I was praying to you. And then out of nowhere, these thoughts, they just come from nowhere. Can anybody relate to that? There's this battle going on in our minds. Before I became a believer, I was hanging out with the wrong crowd, and I got into a lot of trouble, did a lot of things that I regret. 
and I would try to get out of it. You know, there was something in me at one point that told me I, I needed to start taking a different path. God put this in. I believe it was his grace. He began telling me there's more than this. I have more for you than this. And so I began thinking about reaching out to some friends and uh, some old friends who, who weren't living the lifestyle I was. I thought maybe they could help me. You know, maybe they would be my friend, and maybe they could give me some good advice. But every time I would be about to reach out to them, I would have these thoughts creep in. And, and the thoughts that would creep in would be something along the lines of, if they knew the things that you have done, they won't be your friend. If they knew what you have done, they're going to look down on you. You might be their pet project, but you'll never be their friend. And that thought would come every time I was about to reach out to him. And so I would just go back to the drugs. I would just go back to hanging out with the old crowd because I was so ashamed. That's what these thoughts were telling me. Well, eventually I gave my life to Jesus. And Christ came into my life and he began doing a new work. And one of the things I began doing right away was I began studying and reading the word of God. I began meditating on it. I began thinking about it. And it began telling me new things. Those thoughts were still there. But now I began pushing back on those thoughts. When I'd feel like, Brent, you are unloved, and, you know, you are guilty. Even if you say you have Jesus in your life, you're still going to hell for the things that you've done. But then I would fire back with Romans 8.1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I would feel like I had completely squandered my life, because I dropped out of high school, and I had no prospects, and everyone else was going off to college, and I didn't know what my life was going to become. I had to learn to fire back with Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not do you harm, to give you hope and a future. And even though I was still battling these thoughts that were coming out of nowhere, I learned I had to start fighting back with the word of God. And eventually I reached out to those friends. And those friends became my new friends. And those friends are now my best friends to this day. Many of you have met Adam Paul. He's spoken here at the church. He was one of those friends who helped me come out of that lifestyle. But it only happened because I started preaching to myself the word of God rather than listening to what the thoughts in my head were telling me. Friends, let me show you what Ephesians 6 says. You need to know this. It says, put on the belt of truth. You need truth in your life. So many of us have bought into lies. It says you will need faith as your shield. It says take the sword of the Spirit. That's the weapon you have. What is the weapon you have that the Apostle Paul was talking about? That is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, and you have got to learn how to use this book. This is not a book that's to stay on a shelf collecting dust, friends. This is a book that you've got to learn to meditate on so that it gets from out of the page into your heart so that you can begin using it when those thoughts come into your head. And that's my challenge for us as a church, that we begin pushing back on those thoughts, that rather than listening to ourselves, we would begin preaching to ourselves what the Word of God says so that when you feel guilty and you feel ashamed, because you know of sin in your life. You can come back with Romans 5 and you can fire back and say, God demonstrates his love for me in this, even though I'm a sinner, or even while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. You know, when you feel 
bad about your body and you hate the way you look. You can fire back with Psalm 139. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me together in my mother's womb. When you're feeling unloved and like no one loves you, you can fire back with Isaiah 43.3, what God says. He says, you are precious and honored in my sight because I love you. And when you're feeling like a situation in your life, maybe it's your job or maybe it is your marriage, and it just feels impossible, you can fire back with Luke 137. Nothing is impossible with God. Friends, you've got to learn to start taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and fighting back against those thoughts that are not from God so that you can overcome those strongholds in your life. And I'm going to challenge us as a church to begin doing that. We may begin doing that this week. In fact, in your handout, I've put five fighter verses on here for you. And I would encourage you, put this in your car. Put it, put it by your computer at work. And when those thoughts arise, use these scriptures to start firing back against those thoughts that pop up into your, into your head. And we're going to get an opportunity to start this morning and practice that, okay? We're, we're going to take communion together. And I'm going to ask our service to go ahead and get ready. We're going to pass the bread and we're going to pass the cup. You're going to eat, you drink whenever you feel ready, okay? I'm not going to get back up here. We'll have some music playing and then we'll close with a song. But while we're doing this, this is a powerful time for us to connect our hearts with God. And maybe you want to look at some of these fighter verses and you just want to meditate on it a little bit. Just spend some time getting it off the page and getting it into your mind, getting it into your life. I'd especially encourage you to think about the one under assurance. That if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, you can know that Romans 8.1 is true for you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what communion is all about, friends. It was Jesus' body that was broken. It was Jesus who shed his blood. Why? so that you and I could have eternal life, so that you and I would not have to fear death, so that you and I would not have to fear hell, but so that you and I could stand up and say, there is now no condemnation. The sinner that I am, because I am in Christ Jesus. Can we believe that this morning, church? Let's do that. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we need your help. This is a very important subject. The battle for the mind. And I know there's some out there who are struggling in this area, Lord, but I want to just pray by your grace, you would give us a new desire, you would give us a heart to want to meditate and learn your word, to saturate our minds, to saturate our lives in the truths that you teach us in this book. So God, as we celebrate what Christ has done and the divine power we have in his name to win these battles, I pray that you will also shape us through this and help us to start fighting this battle and to experience more and more victory because of what you have done for us, because of your love for us. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.